As I just prayed, uh, we have an awesome guest speaker with us this morning. Joey Nigro and his wife, Sarah, are with us from Hartville, Ohio. Anybody been to Hartville? Nope. Oh, two. All right. Well, yeah, you went to school over there. Anybody else even know where Hartville is? All right, like two. All right. I'm pretty sure if you were in Hartville this morning and asked the question about Wasion, you'd get a very similar response. So it's a small town, a little north of Canton. And um, Joey is a church planting resident at an FEC church there called Evermore. They've been a part of the FEC family for, I don't know, five, six-ish years. And so as a church planting resident, he is kind of under the umbrella of the regional synergy residency that you've heard us talking about. It's kind of expanded from Crossroads now. And so he's not a Crossroads resident, but under the synergy residency, and we're thrilled um, with how God is already resourcing them and their plans. They're pulling a team together to plant, like I said, this fall. And you're going to be encouraged, um, motivated, and challenged by Joey's word this morning. And uh, just thanks, brother, for coming. I'm going to read the primary text for the morning from Romans uh, chapter 10. I'll begin with verse 14. encourage you to turn there. And this is from the English Standard Version. Paul says in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what the Lord heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and ordinary people. Brother, come and share the word with us. you please? Hey, thank you so much. Well, good morning, Crossroads. It is an honor to be with you on this Valentine's Day. Who better to spend it with than you all, right? My name is Joey Nigro. As Matt said, I am a pastoral and church planting resident at Evermore Community Church in Hartville, Ohio. As Matt said, that is some three-ish hours east of here. And I am married to the beautiful Sarah Nigro down here in front. It will be three years of marriage for us this April, which is awesome. We are expecting our first child in May, a baby boy, which was what we were hoping for. It's awesome. A baby boy who we have named Dodger James Nigro. And to answer your question, yes, we love baseball that much. It was a very good year for us. So I am super excited to be here this morning to share with you all from God's word and from our lives and how God has called us as a family, and how we believe really he's called the whole church uh, to be missionaries. But before I get to all that, I've just got to say this. Like, you guys here at Crossroads have it really, 
really good. Sarah and I have gotten to spend a few nights with the Boyers. We have uh, gotten to be around the staff here, been in some of the staff meetings. And let me tell you, this is a slice of heaven. You have really solid, good, godly people leading you here, and they love you, and they put a ton of thought and and prayer into what happens here. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, It's been encouraging and inspiring to Sarah and I. And just don't take them for granted. It is really, really special what you have here. So our text this morning is from Romans 10, as Matt read. And maybe I did a bad job uh, by not starting this passage a few verses early, but I wanted to keep it brief. Uh, But I think just earlier in Romans 10, before our passage, there's this verse that is maybe part of the Romans road. Anybody here know the Romans road? Yeah, expert evangelist. I'm going to just confess something to you all today. I do not know what the Romans Road is. I just have heard of it. But I know this passage is part of it. I guess I grew up Lutheran. Maybe we didn't have that. I don't know. But this is what it says in verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it says a little later, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so getting people to call on the name of the Lord so that they might be saved seems to be sort of a goal for Christians that is mentioned before we get caught up to the starting line of today's passage in verse 14. And it seems to me, as I read the the New Testament, including our passage today, that Christians should sort of orient their lives around bringing the good news to not yet believers, that they might call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And this is the thing that I've found that God has given me just like a sliver of his desire for in my own heart. I constantly find myself thinking about people I know who don't love Jesus yet. And while not often enough, of course, I pray for these people that I love, that they would know Jesus, honestly, probably more often than a lot of people. I really do. And then Sarah and I, my wife and I, we have increasingly learned to like organize and orient our lives around the mission of seeing people come to know the love of God in Christ Jesus, which for us doesn't look like going to the mall and handing out tracts or something looks a lot like inviting people to our kitchen table. And it seems like if you read the Bible, that is like kind of the point for Christians, right? To know and love God. And then what does he call us to do? Matthew 28, it's not just for the original hearers. He says to go into all the world and and preach the good news, to make disciples. And, And if we were to read that passage in Matthew 28, and we were to think like, wow, that is so Neat that Jesus sent them out to do that. What must it have been like for Jesus to call you to go preach the gospel? I can't even imagine. Like, if you read it like that, you need to course correct because he is talking to all of us. I'm convinced. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they call on him if they don't believe? How many of you here have somebody in your life that you ache for them to know the Lord. You just feel it in your bones. You're dying for them to know Jesus. If you are a Christian and you don't feel that way about anyone, there is one of two things going on, both of which are problematic. One, it's that you 
you only know and love people who already know Jesus. And if it's that case, you really need to rearrange your social circle. You need to go into all the world and love some people who don't yet know Jesus. Jesus in the Gospels is constantly mixing it up with sinners. And we are talking like capital S sinners, boy. You know what I mean? And, and like we are called to go and do likewise. So it's either that or the problem here is that you know people who don't know the Lord, but yet you don't care very strongly about those people coming to a saving faith in Jesus. And I don't know how that can be true if you know him. I just don't understand that. You need to ask the Lord to align your priorities with his. If this good news is so good, why aren't you nearly obsessed with your neighbor hearing and believing it? But I've found the longer and the more deeply I know Jesus that I ache more and more for others to know him, the more I want them to call on him, the more I'm convinced that if they would just call on Jesus, that the real problems in their lives would be gone as they walk out their salvation and that their remaining problems could be handled by faith as they walk with Jesus. But they cannot call on him unless they believe. I have friends living promiscuous lifestyles that I want to know Jesus. I have friends that were stripping for extra cash that I want to know Jesus. I have friends who are not only promiscuous, but identify as gay or gender fluid that I want to know Jesus. And I have friends that live really apathetic, sad lifestyles where the main source of entertainment for them is getting drunk or high to numb the pain or boredom that they feel on a daily basis. And I desperately want for them to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are planning churches because we want to reach people living these sorts of lives. Sarah and I have friends like this, not because we wish that we could have their lives, not because we like live vicariously through the stories of the things they do. We have friends like this because I want to see people transformed by the gospel. I don't want to just surround myself with people who have already been transformed by the gospel. And God has been so gracious to give me grace and favor with some of these folks. Now, by the way, if you're hearing this and you're like, I mean, I don't know, like, I've heard you should only surround yourself with, like, positive influences. Or, like, my mom always said, like, you become the average of, like, your five closest friends. Has anybody ever heard that? You become the average of your five closest friends? None of you have. Well, some people say it, let me tell you. And... It just doesn't seem like that happened to Jesus, thankfully, right? And so, like, trust me, Jesus has given you a great example of, and thus permission to mix it up with all the wrong people. It turns out that the wrong people are probably actually the right people for you if you're a Christian. Because we want them to call on the Lord, and to do so, they need to believe. But belief is a, a frustrating concept if you're a control freak like me, because someone believing in and subsequently calling on the Lord is pretty much out of our control. We have no control over the things of the heart. As we get into Romans 10 here, this process that, that is laid out by Paul, we have control over some of the things that are they're more dependent upon our part of this partnership with God, God has decided. We will work with him in those things. But these parts, the, the believing in and calling on specifically, well, the Holy Spirit has to do that work. We are, we are utterly dependent upon God to do the work in the heart of our friends that aren't yet Christians. And so it takes prayer. It takes a, a great commitment to prayer. You have to, you have to realize you can preach an incredible sermon. 
You can share the gospel with great clarity. You can have the best apologetic presentation there's ever been, but you cannot make the gospel penetrate the heart. Only God can. And so you need to be persistent with prayer, and you need to beg our king to do it if anyone would believe in Jesus and call on him to save them. And it just always, as I look at my friends, it feels impossible that they would ever believe, that they would ever come to faith, that a radical transformation would ever happen. It seems impossible. But when it seems impossible, I think that's probably good. Because Luke one thirty seven says, There are things that are impossible with us, but with God, anything is impossible. And so impossibilities lead us to depend on God in prayer. But if they're going to believe, they have to hear the gospel. Belief requires hearing the gospel. And I remember I was preaching one Sunday at a, a church I worked at, and a friend of ours, uh, she said she was going to bring her friend on Sunday. And she told me he was from India, and he was, I think, a little bit nervous. And so they met beforehand to get coffee and talk about what was going to kind of transpire at this church service, right? He had moved to our area from India to, to go to college. And uh, so he sat with her, and he was talking about church, and he said, so I'm going to get to meet the Father, right? You see, his only church experience was seeing Catholic churches on TV. And so he's like, I'm going to meet the Father, right? And she's like, well, no, I mean, you can meet Joey. He's like a pastor, but he's not the Father. And so, and so I preached, and the gospel was proclaimed, and he heard it. And he came up to me, and he's like, would you like to get coffee with me this week? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And so we meet for coffee, and he goes, I have never heard anything like what you said in my entire life. Is that true? And I'm like, yeah, it's totally true, man. And he's like, yeah, that's, that was something. And, and a couple weeks passed, and we get together again for coffee, and he goes, I got to tell you, Joey, I think I believe this stuff. He had a, a radical a, a, a radical conversion. But he had to hear the message before he could ever consider believing it. Believing wasn't an option for him before he heard it. And it would be easy for many of you here today to think like, yeah, but that's a weird exception. He's from India where you never hear it. But I don't think we're completely off the hook just because of our context. I became a Christian in the seventh grade. I, I went to church my whole life, but I came to a saving faith in Jesus in the seventh grade when I heard a sermon on the radio. And so I'm now 33 years old. In 2013, I had already graduated from college with a degree in philosophy and theology. I already was looking at doing ministry and planning a church. And I went to Chicago for this conference called Verge, and a man named Jeff Vanderstelt was preaching. Some of you have probably heard of him. He's awesome. And uh, he came up and he spoke and I was like, I think I just heard the gospel for the first time. Like, that was crazy. I grew up in church. I got saved in the seventh grade. I went to a Christian university. I have a degree in philosophy and theology. And I have this moment in 2013 where I'm like, I think I just heard the gospel for the first time. And it's why we preach the gospel from the pulpit. You all have heard the gospel before. Hundreds, if not thousands of times. Here in the Midwestern United States, your friends have heard some rendition of the gospel. But they need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. You need to preach it to yourself daily, all the time. I think we don't only need to hear the gospel, but we need to see the gospel lived out. The gospel isn't just preached to the ears, but also to the eyes. You've probably heard someone quote, St. Francis of Assisi and say this, preach the gospel 
at all times, if necessary, use words, which probably he didn't really say, first of all, he was big on using words, he preached to animals, and also this logic is pretty flawed. Words are always necessary in preaching the gospel. They are always necessary, but they are not always an immediate necessity. Someone coming to faith one day will mean that somebody else, at some point in their history, opened their mouth and preached the gospel, shared the good news with them. But we have found, Sarah and I have found, that oftentimes witnessing the gospel being lived out helps ready someone's heart to hear the good news. So a few summers ago, Sarah and I were driving to North Carolina, where we were going to stay a night, and then we are going to go to Myrtle Beach. And so it was like a six and a half, seven hour drive. And um, Sarah and I are a little different in one way. Sarah is a music person. If she's driving, she would like to listen to music, very specifically music that she's already heard before. If a song comes on she hasn't heard before, she's upset about that. I am what you would call a podcast person. Who here likes podcasts? Where are my podcast people at? Yes, that's right. I don't need to hear a song I've heard before. I want to learn things. The only time that I become a music person is when it's appropriate to listen to Christmas music. When that season comes in August, I then become a music person. Until August, though, 24-7 podcasts. So my wife compromised, and we found a podcast to listen to on this fateful day. And the person on the podcast was talking about open table meals, this idea where you just have a meal, and you're like, whoever wants to come can come. We'll figure it out. And my wife is like, we have got to do this. And I was like, okay. And she's like, what if we had Taco Tuesday at our house? Food would be simple to make. It, it wouldn't be that expensive either. And so we just impulsively were like, okay, let's do it. Taco Tuesday. So I get out my phone and I'm texting a bunch of people, people that don't know the Lord. And then we fill in some church people too, you know. And we said, hey, we're on our way to Myrtle Beach this week, but we're going to come back in a week. And then we're going to start this thing called Taco Tuesday. And you're welcome to come. It's going to be five to eight. You can come after eight. We're not going to leave you outside. But after eight, we just can't guarantee any food, you know. And uh, so would you like to come? And some people were like, yeah, I'm in. That sounds great. Some people were like, eh, you know, we'll see. And then some people were like, can I bring a friend? We're like, well, that's a strange question. But yeah, it'd be great. This is all God's stuff. We're just here to steward it. So bring your friend. It'll be awesome. Like, whatever. And sometimes five, sometimes 20, sometimes 30 people have been showing up at our house. Now, 30 people, depending who you are, might sound insane or like no big deal. We have a 1,200 square foot ranch, by the way. So even 20 people is a lot. Uh, we have a very small kitchen that sometimes we have to set a table up in, and good luck getting in the fridge, you know. But people come to our house to eat mediocre tacos, and, and they talk about Jesus sometimes. And people share the hard things that are going on in their lives. People come in, and they vent. Strangers become friends. People have gone from our kitchen table to attending a Sunday service. Like, all kinds of cool stuff happens. Not only do I get to invite atheists and agnostics to my table in my home to eat tacos to give them a foretaste of what it's like to be part of God's family as we treat them like family but they have felt so loved and cared for at our table they've come to love us so much at our table that they've come to hear me preach the gospel at a place like this a gospel they don't even believe and here's the thing there's no devotional at Taco Tuesday. There's no agenda. There's no pre-meal prayer, per se, because people come and eat at all different times, other than, you know, Sarah and I praying before people get there. But we are convinced that it is almost 
essential to give people a glimpse, just a glimpse, a foretaste of what it might be like to be part of the family of God by treating them like family among us. How will they believe if they don't hear and if they don't see? Faith is a reasonable thing. It comes from hearing and seeing. And how will they ever do that if we don't preach? You see, the belief part is so, so dependent upon God, but he partners with us for the preaching part of it, right? That they might hear. We are his co-laborers, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.9. And what an honor it is that he would use us. He could do a way better job than I could, but he chooses to partner with us. And so the Great Commission is for us. And so my wife, Sarah, she believes this too. And she comes from this awesome family of people who have done missions and tons of mission work, international missions uh, through YWAM. Who here, anybody here do YWAM or know, know about YWAM? Yeah, you should find my wife because she will talk to you about YWAM until tomorrow. I mean, she's obsessed. So she did YWAM. Her family's done YWAM. Her grandpa was a great missionary and teacher for YWAM. And so I, on the other hand, have done one mission trip, and it was to a region called West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia. Some of you have heard of this place, and that's the extent of my, like, formal missions experience. It, like, wasn't too crazy. The people spoke mostly English, a different kind of dialect of English than I'm used to, uh, kind of twangier, but I was totally fluent by the end of the week. Now, Sarah, my wife, she's gotten to all sorts of countries and eaten all sorts of wild foods from those countries, right? Like, I went to the Dairy Queen in West Virginia and had a blizzard and a hot dog. So, like, you get the point. Like, I have not been many places. I have not preached the gospel with the help of a translator. I have not held children in a Haitian orphanage or anything like that. And honestly, while I'm certainly willing, I just do not feel that pull to do that kind of work when I hear someone talk about those things. They are vitally important and I am amazed at the work of foreign missionaries, but it's just not for me. But I had lunch with a missionary from India just last week. And he talked about how when people would get saved in India, they would oftentimes then just send them to get some sort of formal Bible training, probably something pretty minimal, but just some formal training. And then they would be outfitted with a Bible and a bicycle And then they would go to these remote tribes in India, traveling through the jungle with real-life tigers, actual tigers, wild tigers. I had to verify this multiple times. He said that, and I said, you're saying tigers, right? Like, I'm not, am I picking up something in your accent here? Or tigers? He's like, yes, tigers. And so I had to verify, like, there are tigers roaming these jungles, and homeboy just trounces through, like, some Mormon missionary in my neighborhood with a bicycle, you know? Like, is that what you're getting at? And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so this man then has the audacity to tell me that no one has to beg these new Indian Christians to go share the gospel. They don't have five million Christian books that they can read to get them pumped up, or they don't have like conferences that they go to all the time. They didn't have to read crazy love or anything. They just hear the gospel, believe in Jesus, and then they're like, well, Jeez, it's pretty clear here. I got to go tell people. I will cross the jungle, brave the tigers and the bears. I don't care. I have to tell them about Jesus. Then he says, sometimes these missionaries, it gets better. They cross the jungle, tigers, get to a tribe. That tribe runs them out of the camp. 
So they have to cross the jungle to go home, tigers. And then, and then maybe they will return to that same little village two to three more times. If you're keeping score at home, that's tigers there, tigers back, tigers there again. And then when they leave finally, tigers back, braving the jungle. And yes, again, real tigers, all of it. Why? Just because the good news is too good for these people to not hear it. My goodness, how does that not make your heart skip a beat this morning? That is like music to my ears. How will the people in these tribes ever call on him if they don't believe? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? This is what motivates the Christians in India. If we don't tell them, if we don't preach, how will they know? How will they believe and be saved? They have to hear the good news of Jesus and what he's done for me. But I don't live in India. I live in America. I live in Hartville, no less. A village of its own by our classifications. 3,300 people. And I love America in a real way. I love the people of America. And when I hear an Indian missionary tell me these stories and my heart skips a beat... My next thought isn't a logical thought for a lot of people. My next thought is not, I must go to India where this is happening. That sounds quite unpleasant for me. I'm actually very tiger-averse. I'm not called to that at this point in my life. My heart skips a beat hearing these stories because I am dying to see radical conversion in my context, in our context. I almost start to feel an envy for our people here. And so I normally teach in a very sort of expository, verse-by-verse manner, but I've kind of tossed that out the window today because I have one day with you all, and I am pleading with you pretty much. I don't want to go to India where it's already happening. I want to see a move of God in my context. In sleepy Midwestern towns. Anybody know a sleepy Midwestern town? In sleepy Midwestern towns where we say, Jesus died for you, and people look at us and say, yeah, I know, so what? Because these people who say that, they are searching. I don't believe that they have mostly, like, comprehended how glorious the gospel is and rejected it. I think they either haven't fully heard it yet, or they haven't heard it enough, or they haven't heard it paired with seeing Christians living sold-out lives to the idea of people coming to faith and knowing nothing among them except Christ crucified. Don't you want that here this morning? We don't have remote villages in America. We don't have to cross jungles with tigers in America. We don't have tribes in America, or, or we do, but they're a little different. But as the church, we should be obsessed with seeing people calling on the Lord and passing from death to life, and how will they call on the one that they don't believe, and how will they believe if they haven't heard, and how will they hear if you all, if you all don't preach, and how will you all preach if no one sends you? You see, I think the American church here needs to reassess our understanding of the sending process. There are people searching for God all over the world, including here in the West, And they don't really know what they're looking for. And in a quote that was wrongly attributed to G.K. Chesterton, it was written by somebody else, but it's brilliant. Uh, The person that said it said, The man knocking on the door of the brothel is looking for God. Substitute brothel here for looking for promotion, clicking on a porn site, dedicating his life to the accumulation of wealth, 
Whatever it is, people in the West are looking for God. They just are. And how will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if no one preaches? And how will anyone preach if they aren't sent? Why does the Bible say sent here? What, is, what do we mean sent? Sent implies out. It implies going somewhere. To be clear, the people searching for God in all the wrong places, they are largely out there. Not that we don't occasionally slip into that in the church or anything, but those whose lives are completely lived apart from God are out there. They are not currently hearing me, talk, hearing me talk. I assume most of you here are followers of Jesus. And, and here's the truth. Those not yet Christians, they aren't going to come in here, most of them. They don't want to come to your church yet. You can invite them. You can throw the coolest service in the world with the best music. and It seems like you are. You can have the best preacher in town in the pulpit. And you very well might. Not this week, but normally. But they are largely uninterested. And our culture, I believe, will become increasingly uninterested in what we do in here on Sundays. How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they are sent? We so often read that to mean unless a pastor preaches and we send them to a church. But I thank God that it is so much, so much bigger than that. I met with a guy a few years ago uh, who was in charge of the church planning efforts at a large church in my area. And uh, church planning and campus planting. And I met with him, we got coffee and sat down and I was like, so tell me about, like, your method for church planning. How do, you guys, how do you guys do it? And he goes, oh, I'd be happy to. We have a mantra that we sort of pass along to our people, and it's invite and invest. And I said, hmm, okay, tell me more about that. I'm intrigued. And he said, well, the idea is that we ask you to invite your friends and invest your time and your, your money, if you will, and if you want to be an usher, volunteer, source, do that. And then we will essentially put on the ideal show, the ideal service for a 34-year-old father of 2.6 kids. And if we get the dad, we get the whole family. And I thought, well, that's great. I mean, I guess. But I believe, first of all, we're moving to a world where that really isn't going to work anymore. It might, be, it might not be today. It might not be t- tomorrow. But... Eventually, that's not going to work. And then I also just kind of feel like if you flip through the New Testament, it doesn't really seem to be in there. That doesn't really seem to be the method that God used to change the world. Why wouldn't we challenge our people instead of inviting their friend to church to actually just tell them about Jesus? I mean, I'm all for you inviting your friends to church. Some of you got here because of a personal invite, but that's not, that's not the end of our calling. That's not fulfilling the Great Commission. One of the most paradigm-shifting and perspective-shifting moments of my life happened in 2013 when I heard Francis Chan talking on a podcast. Podcast people, right? Like, yeah. So I hear Francis Chan talking on this podcast, and he tells this story that I thought was so interesting. He talks about when he was a young pastor, probably before he was really known, and he, he was at a conference, and this pastor was sharing about their their Christmas event. It's kind of an outreach talk. And he was saying, you know, our church, what we do is we throw this huge Christmas pageant. It's our marquee event. It's the biggest thing we do all year. And we have people start coming in August or September to start rehearsing, which like I'm in, you know, me with Christmas music, right? And uh, 
we have them start coming to the church to rehearse that early, and we put, we put money into this thing. Like, we're serious. So thousands and thousands of dollars go into sets and lights and costumes and whatever to make it awesome. And then on that, on that big night where we open the show, we just ask people in our church, hey, take some invites and invite people to come to the church so they can see it. And then the pastor's like, at the end, I preach a gospel message, and we hope people will come to faith. So Francis Chan's listening and, and processing, and at the end, he goes up to the front, and he approaches that pastor, and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? And the guy says, yeah, sure. And he goes, well, I just think it's so cool what you said about your Christmas pageant. It sounds like an amazing event. I'm sure it's really great, but, you know, it's interesting to me, like, you spend thousands of dollars, and you invest hundreds of accumulative hours in this event. Wouldn't it make more sense if you just asked each of the people in your church that love the Lord to invite their neighbor over for dinner, maybe just tell them about the most important thing in their life, you know, Jesus? And the pastor looked at him, and he said, well, of course it would, but nobody's going to do that. And then Francis Chan added, like, oh, okay, so you don't want to share the gospel. That's okay. I'll do it. You just hand your friends an invite, maybe come dress like a reindeer on the night of the performance, and let the professional handle the rest. And you guys, I don't want that to be the story of the church in America. I don't want to plant churches like that where I'm the professional gospel preacher and everyone else is just there to invite people. And if that's it, like, I'll walk away today. I don't want to do that. Because I am not just a sent one. You all are sent ones too. You sitting here today are a missionary. Charles Spurgeon famously said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Those are harsh words. They're, they're words that cause me to tremble a little bit. But please understand this isn't meant to be critical or demeaning of people. This is actually the highest view of the Christians hearing my voice. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have in you everything necessary to start a movement. If we dropped you on an island that was completely inhabited by atheists, people who didn't yet know the Lord, people of other faiths, if we dropped you on that island and you were the only Christian, I'd have no reason not to believe that if we came back in a few years that a church would be formed there. Because that's what the gospel does. It saves us and it sends us. Jesus sends people to go out and preach the gospel in Matthew 28. We obey the Great Commission then and people hear the good news and hopefully see it lived out. Then they believe in Jesus that he was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. And they call on him and he saves them. And then he sends them also out into the world to preach the gospel, and it begins again. I've always had this dream, and, and I've never made it a reality. I've never done it, and maybe you all will run with it. But I just, have you ever been to a service where they commission a missionary? Anybody been to a commissioning service? Yeah, some of you. I bet you guys do that here. So John and Susie, for example, they hear God's call to go to Africa, right? They're going to be missionaries to Africa. And so they do everything necessary to go to Africa. They, you know, sell their stuff, get the necessary shots, do whatever they have to do. 
And then they're getting ready to go to Africa, and they come up here, and, and Matt would come up, and he would kind of share with you what they're planning on doing and lay hands on them. Maybe some of you would come up and pray for them and commission them, bless them to go out and do the work. Pray that, pray that they would reap a great harvest, that people would come to know the Lord. And it, it's awesome. It's cool. It's cool to be part of one of those. It's humbling. It legitimizes and celebrates their very real call. It's a good experience. But what if we started doing that for you all? You all are no less missionaries than John and Susie. It's not different. Maybe Tom is a mechanic and he has been saved by Jesus. And like all the saved ones, he's now called to go as a missionary. And he finds himself at his mechanic shop all the time. And so why don't we call Tom up here in his mechanic uniform and pray for him and commission him to go to his shop and preach the good news. Or, you know, Steve works at a law office as a lawyer and we call Steve up in his lawyering suit right and we pray for him and we send him because like every saved one he's a missionary and he goes to do the work of a missionary where he works how much would that make this matthew 28 calling a reality in your life if we did that because you are god's missionaries how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news feet that run through indian jungles right past tigers as they head to remote tribes who have never heard the gospel Feet that put on cleats and head to practice where they live as a missionary to their teammates. Feet that put on dress shoes and head to their office where they're a gospel light. Feet that put on those like black non-slip shoes you have to work if you wear, wear if you work in a kitchen, right? Where they head to work as a cook on a busy Friday night. There as a missionary to that restaurant. Feet that are in flip-flops manning the grill at your neighborhood barbecue where you know that God has put you at just the right time and place that your neighbors might come to know Jesus. Every Christian is a sent one. Every Christian is a missionary. Skipping ahead to the end of our passage here where Paul's talking about the Gentiles, he says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. God loves your neighbors. He loves your co-workers. He loves your not-yet-Christian family members and friends. And while they aren't looking for him by name yet, he is pursuing them. He is so good to pursue the ones who don't want anything to do with him yet. That was me. And that was you all at one point in time. And he sent Jesus to die for us long before we could ever love or desire him. God loved us first and he loves the people the lost people in your lives right now and he's asking you to join him in pursuing them for the sake of the gospel they'll never believe if they don't hear it and see it so how will you respond today is as you leave this place i think maybe a great way to respond to this message would be to think of three people in your life that don't know the lord just three people Make a note in your phone or, or on the bulletin you were given today, something. Make a little list and begin to daily pray that God would reconcile himself to those people, that their heart would become soft towards him. And then begin to spend time with them. Ask your coworker to, to grab dinner soon or your couple friends to come have a play date with your kids or something. Be intentional in seeking them out just as God was intentional in seeking you all out. Now, if you don't have three names to write down, if you don't know 
and love three people who don't know the Lord, you have a different first step. And I am dead serious. Your first step is to do whatever it takes to make some friends who aren't Christians. Go hang out where they hang out. Join a a bowling league or become a regular somewhere. Do something to immerse yourself with people who aren't church people. I am begging you. And then prayerfully pursue those relationships. Prayerfully pursue those relationships. That's it. That's the secret sauce. When, When things come up where it's easy to talk about what God has done for you or what Jesus means to you, do it. When, when it feels really forced, don't do it. God is actively, actively pursuing those who aren't yet seeking him. And he partners with us all to do it. But they'll never believe if they don't hear the gospel preached, and if they don't see it lived. And God is sending you all to do it. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just thank you for Crossroads. I thank you for people that love you here, that, that desire to make you known. And maybe they, they don't know how yet. Maybe they're uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe it's scary to think about themselves as a missionary, Jesus. I pray that you would embolden them. I pray that you would give them courage. I pray that you would give them words to say when situations come up. God, I pray that, I just pray that you would use them. God, I pray for, um, I just pray for, crazy things to happen here in Wauseon for a move of God where people come to know you, where, where people live like missionaries, where people get saved, God. You can do it, and you have chosen your people to partner with you, these people here, these very people. God, impress upon their hearts, make it real to them that they are your missionaries, Jesus, because it's true. It's true. Your word says it. And so, uh, God, we... We give you our lives. We thank you for loving us first. We love you. Amen.